You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Crunch Time right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Matt Miguez here, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can check us out on our simulcast by headed to Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. The LSU Fighting Tigers began their quest for an SEC baseball championship with a 10-3 win earlier today over South Carolina. We'll break down that game and get you set for tomorrow's matchup against the winner of AM and Arkansas. Arkansas currently leading AM 5-4 in the eighth inning. We'll also talk about the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns getting set to defend their Sunbelt Conference Championship. They will begin that road against Levi Wells and the Texas State Bobcats tonight. 7-30 first pitch from Riverwalk Stadium in Montgomery. Jay Walker will join us at 4.30 to preview that game. We'll also talk about the McNeese Cowboys and the latest in the NBA playoffs as well. My producer and co-host is Mr. James Mesh. James, happy hump day, sir. How are you? I'm doing all right on this Wednesday. How about you, Matt? I'm doing very well. Um, look, you know, we'll start with LSU baseball. It was a little... It started off to be kind of intriguing, you know, how they were going to combat this SEC tournament. We talked about it at length yesterday uh, in terms of pitching. They started Thatcher Hurd today, and I, I, I've got to say he was magnificent. Uh, five and a third, he gave up four hits, three runs, walked two, struck out four. He gave up the one home run, but he did just enough for LSU as – Nate Ackenhausen was able to come in and pitch the final three and two-thirds innings, giving up one hit, no runs, walked three, struck out six, and LSU was able to avoid having to dig really deep into the bullpen. Offensively, Braden Jobert with a two-run homer. Hayden Travinsky gets two RBIs. Trey Morgan with a pair of RBIs as well. Tommy White, two more RBIs to his total. In a game where LSU got 12 base hits, scored 10 runs, only struck out six times as a team, and they were either walked or hit by a pitch a total of nine times in this game. They did leave 10 runners on base, however, this afternoon. And again, they will await the winner of A&M and Arkansas. Now, James, there is a rumbling that Paul Skeens could go tomorrow for LSU do you agree with the move do you think that it's the right time I mean it makes a lot of sense because at this point you Paul Skeens will have had a week of rest and staying on schedule and not having to worry about either accelerating the process or being delayed today like you're just right back on schedule it makes a lot of sense I I think it would have still been funny to do starting Blake Money and then, like, kind of having Paul Skeens be the reliever if need be. 
But I, I think this is a great move, and it makes a lot of sense to have Paul Skeens be the guy in the second round, and then if you win, you'll get a day off and come back Correct. on Saturday. Look for Skeens to be on a pitch count. I don't think Jay Johnson's just going to let him pitch a normal outing. Yeah, you're um, not going to see 6-7. You're going to probably see about three full, four full innings. Take him out after that. and That way, if you get to Saturday, if you get – to the to the end, you bring them in again. That way, you have a good start, and then you go back to the bullpen. Yeah, you know, I I think you could see him, like you said, go through four innings, fifty to seventy five pitches probably. Um, and in that case, if he does that on a Thursday, you could bring him back Sunday as a reliever, let him pitch an inning, maybe two, um, and then that way, he would still be on regular schedule to kick off the regional. Friday afternoon in Baton Rouge. Big win for LSU today, 10 to 3. Once again, they await the winner of Texas AM and Arkansas. Arkansas just hit a grand slam to take that 5 to 4 lead over AM. They're in the top of the eighth currently. Arkansas, the two seed, and Texas AM is currently the 10 seed. Now, Looking at the NBA playoffs real quick, James, your your boys in green figured out a way to stay alive. They remembered how to play basketball. You know, and, and that's the thing that, that kind of bothers me when you look at this series, and especially last night's game, because you're right. It looked like they finally remembered how to play basketball. Because they had they had good quarters. They had a nice first half in games one and two. They even won quarters four in games one and two. It was just like the beginning of the second half. That was really their downfall. And then in game three, I mean, they were just shot up. Like they just couldn't do anything that whole game. They didn't know what to do. But then in Game 4, it was a nice response because even though Miami was leading by 6 at half, you still felt like, well, I mean, this one's definitely within reach. The only thing is, are we going to see another classic third-quarter collapse by the Celtics and then you go down by double digits at least? Well, no, the complete opposite happened. They outscored the Heat by 13. They outscored them by double digits, and it completely changed the momentum of the game. One thing that really jumped out to me, and when we talked about it the other day, the third quarter has not been kind to Boston until last night. They outscored Miami 38-23 to in the third quarter and really felt like they sealed the game in, in that moment. Uh, Jason Tatum scoring 33 last night was efficient, 14-22 of 22 from the field. Uh, Jimmy Butler did have 29 for Miami. But look, you you shot 51% from the field. You only committed 10 turnovers as a team. Boston played really well, but the question that I ask, what the hell took so long? Why did it take you until game four to play like this? Especially when you had two games at home. You had home court advantage. And you let Miami rip that away from you. So that part's a little concerning to me. But now, like I told you earlier, it's 
You're going back to Boston for game five. If you can win at home like you're supposed to, it's a whole new series. It is because then you kind of start to put a little bit of the pressure. I hear people saying that all the pressure is on Miami at that point, and I get it because if the Celtics were to win games five and six, they go back to Boston for a game set, and we know how it is. We saw it even last series with the 76ers where it they just become superhuman, it feels like, the Boston Celtics game seven in the Garden. But I don't but I don't think everything is put on the shoulders of Jimmy Butler in the heat if it gets to a game six because yes, you're at home and that's basically your game seven because then you have to go on the road. But like we've talked about, the Celtics have not been as good at home in the playoffs. That's that's the issue. Do I see Miami taking three out of four in Boston. I don't think it's very likely, but that's also because I don't see it getting to that point. The thing that the thing that I'm worried about though with this series is I don't think either team beats Denver. Right. I don't think it matters at the end of the day because the Celtics are way too inconsistent. And look, even though you've gotten really nice production. Out of Kayla Martin, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, you know, a bunch of undrafted guys that are all of a sudden having big impact. I don't think it's enough because Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray versus Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler in a potential NBA final series. I would much rather take the Denver Nuggets because that team in the Denver Nuggets has a lot more length. They got a lot more size to them. Bam's a lot smaller than Joker. Right. Jabal and Jimmy are are in that same range, but then you got to deal with Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr., who are guys have a lot of size. It's going to be tough because, yeah, you got a lot of shooters with Duncan Robinson and Struess and Gabe Vincent and Kayla Martin, but overall as a team... Give me Denver. It, uh, to me, either way, yeah. whether my if Miami somehow falls apart and the Boston Celtics win in Game Seven, or if Miami closes out in either five or six, yeah, I this, still I still take the Nuggets to win the finals. This Denver team, y- you watch them play, and it just feels like, you know, when you look at a team and you're like, it's their year, right? Like, like it just, it's this just, just feels like be. one of those things. Yeah, it, it it feels like this is Denver's title, and nobody's going to take it from them. Um, and so, look, whether it's Miami or it's Boston, I, I just don't think that either team has what it takes to slow down Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. Um, so I, I think Denver wins the NBA Finals in five or six, and they, they get their first championship in, in franchise history. Once again, Louisiana Rage and Cajuns playing Texas State tonight at 7.30. We'll preview that game. We'll also talk about McNeese getting a big win over Texas A&M Corpus Christi last night. Justin Hill's 300th as a head coach. and Another complete game from Grant Rogers. We'll recap that game, get you set for tonight's matchup with Nichols, and much more coming up right here on Crunch Time. You're listening to the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. 
Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you tired of your boring man cave? Well, if you are, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to win a new recliner from Borderlands Furniture, a flat screen TV from AVI, and more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 418. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. The McNeese Cowboys started their run at a Southland Conference Championship last night, taking down the number seven seed, Texas A&M Corpus Christi, by the final score of four to nothing. McNeese gets two in the second, capitalizes with two more in the sixth. Both teams get seven hits, but Grant Rogers was able to hold Corpus Christi scoreless with the win. Rogers improves to 12 and one. Matthew Watson was the losing pitcher, and he falls to six and five. There was a RBI double from Brayley Hollins. There was an RBI double from Josh Leslie, and Trey Oberjean hit a two-run homer to seal the deal for McNeese, four to nothing once again. Grant Rogers going the distance, nine innings, seven hits. He struck out five through 107 pitches in the game. Southland Conference pitcher of the year following the win discussed the award and how he couldn't have done it without his teammates. Uh, I couldn't do it without my teammates, my defense. They made some great plays behind me, and uh, you guys in the dugout uh, owe them everything. Head coach Justin Hill also talked about the win and career win number 300 for the McNeese head coach. Man, it should have been easier if we'd have done it on a non-conference game. But, um, man, the, the, the story of the day was Grant Rogers and what he did. Uh, Trey got, got us going on a great, you know, uh, got us going offensively. He said we kind of breathe a little bit. Uh, but then Grant was really, really good. Um, in addition to that, the defense was fantastic. And we just, we never were able to stretch it out, but, but we kept kept kind of having enough pressure. Um, and again, Grant did what Grant does. So, um, man, just glad he's on our team. With this win now, McNeese will battle again at Joe Miller Ballpark tonight against top-seeded Nichols. A 6 o'clock first pitch. James, this is always a good matchup between the Cowboys and the Colonels. Can McNeese, I guess you could say, pull off the upset and get a win over the Colonels and move on to the next round of the Southland Conference Tournament, or does the Cowboys season end tonight? I think they got a good shot because when you look at both of their schedules and how everything felt they both had very similar records and I I think they're both on that same level so even though Nichols is the quote-unquote number one team in the Southland Conference for this tournament I still think the Cowboys have a good shot of winning tonight yeah I, I think they do too honestly you know you look at McNeese you look at Nichols 30 and 22 on the season 
when they came to Lake Charles back at the end of March, Nichols did take two out of three in that series, but both wins were close. And then the one loss, the one win that McNeese got was not. McNeese won the Friday night game 8-3. to three, And then Nichols responded on Saturday with an 8-6 win and then an 8-5 win on Sunday. So that series was very close early on in the year. Uh, I think both teams kind of took away a big chunk of what they needed to work on from that series and they played each other again in Thibodeau just a couple weeks ago and McNeese picked up a 7-3 to win in that game so I think McNeese knows that they can beat Nichols but Nichols does come into this matchup kind of angry uh, they, they didn't finish the season the way that they wanted to they got run ruled in their final regular season game so I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of high emotion, high energy out of both of these teams tonight. Um, but I'm I'm going to go with the Cowboys. I think the home field advantage plays into their favor and they move on. Right, I was going to talk about the home field advantage, but also Nichols, since they didn't play last night, they didn't play their starter yet. They didn't sure. play their number one guy, whereas the Cowboys played Grant Rogers last night. That's true. So... That's another factor that you kind of have to look into. And that and that's what's difficult about postseason baseball is is you never know how you should plan it uh, when, when it comes to things like that. Should you hold your ace for a potential matchup like a, a Nichols? Or do you say, I can't get to a Nichols game if I don't beat Corpus Christi? Right. Like the, the, the way you have to try and plan those things out is so incredibly difficult. Um, meanwhile, the Louisiana Rage Cajuns again in Montgomery. They will play Texas State tonight. Uh, Jackson Nezu will go for the Cajuns, while Levi Wells, one of the best pitchers in the Sun Belt Conference, will go for Texas State. Now, James, Louisiana swept Texas State just a week and a half, two weeks ago, at MLT Moore Field. It's incredibly hard to beat a team three times. You hear it all the time in sports. It's hard to beat a team twice. It's hard to beat a team three times, yada, yada, yada. Not many people talk about how hard it's going to be to beat a team a fourth time. Um, You have plenty of tape on each other. You have plenty of tape on them against you. So I don't know that from a preparation standpoint that either team has an advantage. Um... Offensively, I'm going to give the advantage to the Cajuns. Defensively and, and pitching-wise, tonight I'm going to give the advantage to the Bobcats. Right, and I kind of think about how people talk about, well, it's difficult to beat a team twice, three times in a season. kind of feels like, as we've gotten older, that it kind of feels like more and more of a myth. Because if you just got someone's number, you just got someone's number. You know what I'm saying? That's Cause, true. Because we've seen it a whole bunch. Because I remember that was such a big debate when it came to Saints-Panthers in 2017. And you played them in the first round of the playoffs. And it was like, oh, are the Saints going to be able to win? I mean, they already they had already swept them in the regular season. And it's not guaranteed because you had seen it with Saints-Bucks in 2020 and that divisional round matchup. But a lot of the times... Unless there's a big play that swings in the other team's direction, 
usually the team that has already gotten a vast majority of the wins, I'd probably lean towards them. For sure. Uh, 7.30 tonight, winner of that game will play again at 7.30 tomorrow, while the loser will play at 12.30 tomorrow afternoon. Uh, score update from the Sunbelt. Southern Miss has just taken down James Madison 7-1. to Sunbelt Conference Pitcher of the Year Tanner Hall throws a complete game three-hitter. It only took him 102 pitches to get the job done, and second-seeded Southern Miss will now move on to the next round of the Sun Belt Conference Tournament. Louisiana Education softball preparing to take off to Seattle for a three-game series in the Super Regional with the Huskies. Uh, earlier this week, Jerry Glasgow met with the media and said that they his team is looking forward to the matchup with Washington. Uh, looking ahead, you got a day to rest. I let the players rest today. We'll get back on the field tomorrow, practice. And we're, you know, I'm in the process today of watching film on Washington. Uh, looks like they've got a very good pitcher, um, young too, but those are ball hard and down, can go up. Um, they're extremely well coached. We all know Coach Tarr. She's been there and done just a tremendous job for years. Um, and she's she was a young coach when I first got a coach against her, and now she's a veteran coach, a really 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 talented young coach, uh, still young but very experienced, and you know coach of USA softball as well. So we know they're going to be ready and prepared, and they're going to play really well. Beautiful ballpark. I've never personally got to go to Washington. I've always wanted to want to go to that field. Um, I've watched a lot of games at Washington, and so I look forward to seeing the beautiful facility out there and that bald eagle flying around and, and just the whole scenery of the of the stadium and university. So that's kind of where, where we're at, and I, we're still in the planning stage of logistics, and I would think we'll leave probably Wednesday or Thursday. They will leave on Thursday. Tomorrow they will take off from Lampson Park at approximately 9.45 a.m. Uh, that send-off is open to the public again at Lampson Park, 9.45 tomorrow morning. Oh, that's so early. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. They, they're, they're you know, when, when you go to the West Coast, the one thing that's always so interesting is, so you're going to come from... Lafayette, which when you leave Lamson Park, it's going to be 945, right? You're going to get on a plane, probably 1030, 11. You'll get there probably three here, but it's only going to be one o'clock there. And I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but that two hours takes a lot of adjusting to get to. Um, and, and, you know, when you're going to be playing softball, on on your on your body clock at nine o'clock on Friday night, Oof, good luck. Yeah, that's always a tough matchup, and that's why people kind of put that into perspective when like an East Coast team has to go to the West Coast. Like Absolutely. whenever Patriots have to go to San Francisco to play the Forty ers or I remember even when I went to Washington D.C., that hour of adjustment going forward threw me off. Now, one, one thing that's going to be interesting, and Jerry Glasgow brought it up in his press conference earlier this week, Seattle is 174 feet above sea level. 
which is not a lot, but it's higher than here. Yeah, a lot of the state in Louisiana is below sea level. So what's going to be intriguing, and also the softball stadium at the University of Washington sits on the coast. If you look in the background, you can see the Pacific Ocean behind behind the stadium. So you're going to get some breezes from the ocean. One thing that's going to be interesting is how does the wind change things for an offensive perspective? Will the ball travel out of there faster with the elevation mixed in with some wind? Are you going to hit more home runs? Uh, Jerry Glasgow said that the weather conditions and the elevation could make for some high-scoring matchups. Yeah, the ball will go out of there. I, I, I watched Oregon hit eight home runs, and one of the games I was watching uh, when my daughter played there, I remember uh, Oregon having a, a huge day with eight home runs, and you'll see high-scoring games there. I w- it's close to the coast, so I don't know how high the altitude. I wouldn't think it's high because it's very close to the, to the coast, if I understand it right. But I do know that there's a lot of home runs and a lot of balls hit. I don't know whether the wind's a factor. I don't know. I do know there's always a lot of rain there, too, and you have to be prepared to, to play in the rain if that's possible. But we deal with that here a lot, so I'm not too upset about that. Looking at the field itself mm-hmm. and seeing the water, close kind of feels like an understatement. Yeah, it's right there. Like I feel like if you hit it 230, the ball's just going to roll the rest of the way right into the it's, water. It's right there. Like it, it's it's you got like two rows of trees and then boom Ocean. you're in water. Yeah. Um it's it, it's incredibly close. So um, I mean with with the potential of a lot of home runs, I mean over under on 18 and a half runs for the weekend or for one game. For that one game. Cuz we saw 17 from yeah, from Tiger Field. Yeah. Like, could we see this be a 20-plus run game? Oh, I don't know about that. You don't think so? I don't know about that. Uh, Friday night's game, I think, is going to be actually a little low-scoring because both teams are going to put out their ace pitchers. You're going to see Sam Landry uh, against Malin. And, I mean, I I could see a 6-4 game one. Uh, Now... Saturday and then potentially Sunday, <laughs> all bets are off in those games. Uh, but but Friday night's going to be a I'm going to fill you out. I'm going to get to know your lineup. Uh, probably pretty low scoring. Quite a few strikeouts in in, in game one. Four thirty two. We'll take a timeout when we return. Cajuns corner with the voice of the Cajuns, Jay Walker, to preview Louisiana versus Texas State right here on the game. Going deep downfield. He's got a receiver. It's caught. Touchdown, Louisiana. Can't get enough of the vermilion and white? Then you're in luck. Here is the Cajuns Corner with the longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, Jay Walker, on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Welcome back into Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Matt Miguez here. James Mesh, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. So we're broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns preparing for the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. They begin their title defense tonight at Riverwalk Stadium against the fifth-seeded Texas State Bobcats. To talk about the tournament and recap a wild weekend for the softball team, 
is the voice of the Raging Cajuns, Mr. Jay Walker. He's here for Cajuns Corner. Jay, what's going on? How are you? Oh, just having the time of my life. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if life could be any better than it is today. So, obviously, you know, postseason baseball is now upon us. How much different, especially from your perspective, how much different is postseason baseball compared to just a, a regular conference series? Well, you know, first of all, you know, I, I can't say everybody, but but there are a lot of folks here. You know, a lot of teams here. There, they were ten teams uh, at this place. There are eight now. So, you know, you get to see everybody uh, while you're here, and uh, invariably you wind up um, meeting some people that maybe you'd talk to on the phone or, or whatever. That's already happened to me twice today, um, and. You know, everybody, the games have a sense of urgency about them. Because, looks, you know, you're going to have quite a few teams whose season is going to come to an end uh, this week. And so, you know, they play with a sense of urgency. I think coaches coach a little differently, uh, especially when it comes to their pitching. Um, but it's, it, it, it definitely is different from a regular season uh, game or weekend. Now, from the Cajuns' perspective, they finished the season on a positive note. They didn't win the series against Southern Miss, but played well over in Hattiesburg and then, of course, got the sweep over Texas State at home. Where do you think the mindset of this team is, Jay, headed into this conference tournament, knowing that you have to win it to make the NCAA tournament? Well, I, you know, I think, the, I think the, the, the mindset and the attitude is win today. Uh, and you worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, you don't look too far ahead. Um, you just have to go out and win today. And, and if you do that, then, you know, you play the late game tomorrow and then the, the, the mantra is win today. And I think that's the way you have to do it. Conference tournament time. Look, take care of what's in front of you. Don't worry about what's going to happen down the road. That's the coach's job to worry about that. Just stay in the moment, win today. Now looking at tonight's opponent in Texas State, a team that, like we just mentioned, the Cajuns swept at MLT Moorefield just you know last week, week before last. It's incredibly hard to sweep a team. How difficult is it going to be to now turn around and, and try to beat the Bobcats a fourth time? Well, you know it's 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 not going to be easy from the standpoint but not from the standpoint of, oh, gee, it's hard to beat a team four times. Well, let me tell you something. There's a reason why you beat them three times, okay? Um, so I, I don't know that I'd buy into that part. But I will say this. You know, you're facing an all-conference pitcher tonight in, in Levi Wells, and he's a good one. So that's the concern is you're going to face a real good arm, and so Nezu is going to have to do to Texas State what he did to him in Lafayette, where he went seven innings, gave up two runs because – I don't know that Levi Wells is going to give up six runs like he did the last time the two teams played. Yearly conference awards came out the other day. Julian Brock and Kyle DeBarge both on the All-Sun Belt second team. Uh, Julian has just had an incredible year, setting career highs in almost every offensive category. Talk about him and then, and then DeBarge, just a sophomore, but already one of the big leaders on this team, both on and off the field. Talk about those two guys and what they contribute to Louisiana's baseball team. Well, you know, they contribute an awful lot. You know, Julian is, is, has had a great year. Uh, he set career highs, as you said, in just about everything. 
And and you know, DeBarge, you know, he he's just he's just so important to this team. You know, they managed to survive the thirteen games without him. But man, you know, the, the guy on on Saturday made his only error in conference play. Um, it's the first error that he's made since coming back from his injury. And he's making stuff happen on the bases. He's making stuff happen defensively, offensively. His leadership skills are off the charts. Um, he's just really, really special. But, man, I'll tell you what, with those guys in the second team, that tells you how hard it is to make all-conference in this league. Because, look, I can, I can sit here and make a case for several other Cajuns that aren't on this team. And it's just hard to make all-conference, especially with the additions to the league and the fact that it's a 14-team league now. Jay, what did you see last night? Uh, you know, the Georgia State-Georgia Southern game w- w- was a great one. Uh, j- just talk about night one of the Sunbelt Conference Tournament and what stood out to you. Well, you know, first of all, you know, Old Dominion has turned out to be an enigma this year. At the beginning of the year, they were tearing the cover off the ball, scoring a ton of runs. And then the second half of the season, their offense kind of went away. They lost 2-1 to one to James Madison. They only got two hits the entire game. Uh, and one of the two hits was a solo homer. That's how they got their run. Um, and so, you know, Old Dominion has kind of made me scratch my head a little bit um, with the season that they had. Georgia State and, and Georgia Southern, look, Georgia State's up. They're up 6 nothing going into the eighth. And Georgia Southern scores five times, but they also get two guys thrown out in that inning trying to stretch a single into a double. So two of the three outs they made are on the base pads. If they, if they don't make two bad mistakes on the bases, they probably score enough to take the lead and maybe win that game. Uh, but it didn't work out that way. Now, going back to the Cajuns, as we chat with with Jay Walker, the voice of the Cajuns here for Cajuns Corner, looking at tonight's game against Texas State, I know we talked about it a little bit. The Bobcats are going to go with Levi Wells tonight, and the Cajuns are going to oppose him with Jackson Nazoo. If you had to pick you know, the, the prototypical play-by-play conversation, if you had to pick three keys to victory tonight for the Cajuns, what would they be? Well, you know, Nazoo's got to get you off to a good start. I mean, that's that's the first thing. Uh, I think the second thing is with with Wells up there, you have to attack his fastball because if you let him mix pitches, uh, he can cut you up. So I think you got to hunt the fastball uh, tonight. And uh, and the third thing is is go be you. Okay, I you know the Cajuns are who they are. All right, they they're very athletic. Uh, they steal a lot of bases. They get caught stealing. Uh, they're an elite defensive team. You just have to go out and be you and, and not try to be somebody that you're not because you, if, if you go out and you're able to be you, you're good enough to win. If the Cajuns win tonight, they will face the winner of Coastal Carolina and Georgia State. If they lose tonight, they'll face the loser of that game. Loser's bracket game, 1230 tomorrow. Winner's bracket game, 730 tomorrow evening. Jay, let's talk softball. Uh, look, you know, you haven't been to a Super Regional since 2016. But before we even get to the Super Regional, winning the Regional the way that you did Sunday afternoon in Baton Rouge, 
I mean, it, it's it's been a long time since I've seen anything like that. You know, when, when was the last time that you saw, you know, backs against the wall mentality and r- really just delivering the way that the Cajuns did? You know, I think this is going to make make you laugh and scratch your head and say, you know, this guy's nuts. But you know what the key to the regional was for me? was the first game against LSU. When they went out and they didn't compete very well and uh, wound up getting shut out, they, 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 couldn't, they couldn't get anything done offensively. Mm-hmm. And, in, and in the postgame, Jerry was, you know, if he said to his, his players the same thing that he said to the media, look, he was not happy. And, no, no, he wasn't. And, 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 and he, he said, we have to go out and compete. Well, they did. Uh, they got they got the message and they competed extremely well, but um, you know as as it turned out that that loss to LSU might have been a blessing. I mean, you you talk about that that four nothing loss on Saturday, and then the way that you responded on Sunday. You fall behind four to one. You scratch and claw to to get that one home run from Alexa Langliers, and that really just started a rally that got capped off by that three run homer from Jordan Campbell and then an hour later you open the game with six runs including a grand slam from from Jordan Campbell uh for Jordan Campbell to deliver the way that she did I mean Jay she's going to go down in Cajun's history well you know she hit the three-run homer she hit the grand slam and then she got the game-winning hit in the seventh uh so yeah she had a pretty good day uh it um you know one of the things if you paid a lot of attention to softball this year, Jerry this year has been uncanny when his ability to put in the right player in the right moment. He's done that a lot this year. He brings Campbell off the bench. She, she hits a three-run jack that helps him win game one. It's not the first time that he's taken, whether it's Jordan or, or Crater uh, or, or games uh, that, uh, you know, when Kotzelnik is not starting, whoever. He's had an uncanny knack of identifying the right hitter at the right time to put in the game. I got to give him props, man. He, when it when it when it comes to the ability to hit and and matchups with pitchers and stuff, I think that's where Glasgow shines. Looking at this super regional with, with Washington, a I think it's a winnable regional, and B I think the Cajuns have a big advantage. In the pitching department, like you just mentioned, Jay, he's got five pitchers that he could go to at any moment. Right, and and he, um, you know, he and Justin will, you know, do a, a lot of analysis and figure out, you know, which route they need to go. You know, the, you know, this is going to come down to this, though, um, Matt. I think. Look, they almost ended their season because they made back-to-back errors in one inning and gave up seven unearned runs. You do that this weekend, your season's going to come to an end because this is going to be a better team than what you played last weekend. So the one thing that this team's got to do is they got to go out and play defense, and it's something that they haven't been particularly good at this year. But if they can go and for a weekend and make the plays that they need to make defensively, they're going to have a chance to win this thing. Jay Walker joining us here for Cajun's Corner. Jay, appreciate your time as always. Have a great week in Montgomery, and hopefully next week we can preview a uh, Cajun's Baseball Regional. I vote yes.
Thanks for having me, Matt. Go Cajuns. And there he goes, the voice of the Cajuns, Jay Walker for Cajuns Corner. We'll take a time out here on Crunch Time. When we return, we'll wrap up hour number one and get you set for hour number two right here on The Game. This is Crunch Time on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The defending World Series champs are starting to warm up, and you could see them live in person. The game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with another Astros weekend getaway. This time, the Houston Astros take on the Cincinnati Reds on Saturday, June 17th, and you can be there if you register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com. Score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time as we're wrapping up our number one here in the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day on Facebook and Twitter. It's a Wednesday, so it's a foodie poll question of the day. What is your favorite meat to grill? Is it ribs? Is it a good old steak? Is it some chicken? Or is it something else that you want to do? Like maybe grilling some shrimp on the barbe? Or is it something else? Steak is heavily leading at about 56%. 20% is leading towards chicken. 13% say ribs. And the final 11% goes to other. What says you, Matt? I would probably go chicken just because that's what my family has done the most in my life. Um, we, we almost always barbecue chicken, whether it was on a Sunday or for a family get-together or wh- whatever. You just grew um, up on a lot of chicken. Yeah, I've eaten a lot of chicken growing up. Which is fair. I kind of grew up on a lot of venison, but... I'd rather oh, this man. This man's high dollar. No, well, no, we didn't buy venison. We just my dad had a camp and he had buddies and they didn't know what to do with the venison, so they'd be like, "Hey, you know how to cook? Uh, works. You got it. We're that just kind of killing more for fun." But I mean, if you're going to use the meat, go for it. High dollar because they, they. I mean, whatever. But I would rather go with the steaks. But that's just me because I love a good old, you know, ribeye. A lot of cuts off of the beef. In hour number two, we're going to talk a lot about the Washington Huskies. We're going to go behind enemy lines and preview the Washington Super Regional as Louisiana Raging Cajuns will travel up to Seattle this weekend to play the Huskies. We'll also talk about Saints OTAs. And the Astros have fallen into a little bit of a losing streak. All right, They haven't scored in a couple games. They got we shut will. out. They got shut out. Last night, and they got shut out today. Yeah, shut out four to nothing today. Uh, only four base hits for the Astros in this game. Uh, your, your key players, you know, Jordan Alvarez going 0 for 3, Mauricio Dubon going 0 for 4, Jeremy Pena going 0 for 4. Uh, Jose, Jose Altuve, Altuve wasn't even playing. there. 
He was uh, sick. Has a stomach bug. Hopefully they're 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 hoping to get him back Friday in Oakland. Uh, but as as of right now, it is unknown when Jose Altuve will be able to return to the team with his sickness. Uh, the Astros will have the day off tomorrow before playing Oakland on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time to wrap up our number one. Once again, our number two, Mike Brown, the voice of Washington softball, will join us, and then Brendan Ertle joins us at 5.30 for Who Dat Wednesday. You're listening to the game. It's 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We'll be back for our number two right after this top-of-the-hour sports update right here on the game. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's our number two of Crunch Time here on the game at Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. In hour number one, we talked about LSU taking down South Carolina 10-3 in game one of the their first game of the SEC tournament. They await the winner of Arkansas and Texas A&M. Peyton Diggs with a solo shot to right field in the bottom of the 11th to give Arkansas the 6-5 to five lead currently. We'll see if that holds for the Razorbacks. Here in our number two, we're going to talk about the New Orleans Saints, their start to OTAs, and what the rest of the offseason looks like with our guy Brendan Ertle. But right now, let's get back to the Raging Cajun softball conversation as they prepare for their first Super Regional since 2016. They will head up to Seattle, Washington to take on the Huskies, a, a very historic college softball program having won the national championship in 2019. I mean, 2009. Now, McNeese over in Lake Charles was just one play away from moving on out of that Seattle regional. Mike Brown is the play-by-play voice for Washington softball, and he joins us on the game hotline now. Mike, appreciate you taking the time, sir. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Appreciate it. So let's start with the Husky season overall. You know, 41-13. and 13, They finished 16-8 and eight in a very difficult Pac-12 conference. Uh, but the number that sticks out to me in terms of records is 15-3 and three at home. Uh, talk to me about their season, especially their success at Husky Stadium. Well, they've always been pretty successful at home. they got a good crowd. They sell out most of their games. Uh, this weekend's regional sold out in 20 minutes. Uh, so uh, that's a, a very good home field advantage for them and has been their whole uh, existence since 1993. So you know, that's not a real surprise as far as Husky fans are concerned because they are pretty rabid. They're, you know, in the face of the umpires going to bed. Uh, but, you know, but they're civil about it. Yeah, don't get me wrong. So winning at home, I, I'm not taking it for granted or anything like that, but that's always been a, a pretty much a, a standard thing for them because they have uh, a good crowd, like I said, and they're just a, a highly ranked 
program year in and year out on top of it. So that really isn't a, a, a surprise, especially for someone like myself that's been doing it for so long. Talk to me about Heather Tarr, the head coach of Washington softball, you know, what she's done to put this program in, in the right position and maybe what makes her different than, than most Division One head softball coaches. Well, like most college sports, it's all about recruiting, and it isn't just the talent level. It's finding the right chemistry of players they are going to fit in with what's going on. Now, uh, of course, the Raging Cajuns have a former Husky, uh, Stormy Kotzelnik, who uh, Heather wanted to redshirt her uh, her first year. That was 2021 when we were coming off the COVID year, and everybody had all these extra players because of the extra year. And so uh, it, it just didn't quite work as far as she was concerned. Uh, I wish she would have stayed. We could use her right about now. You can always use more talent and that kind of thing. But I think it's the finding the right mix of players. These players get along with each other, and you have to. When you consider the fact that D1 sports these days, it's like a job. It's like a full-time job, really. I mean, they practice every day. They live with each other. They have somewhere in the same classes with each other. Uh, and then they travel together. And a team like the Huskies, which can't play at home early in the season, we travel the first four or five weeks every year to go to tournaments because the weather here isn't good enough. So they're around each other a lot. And I think that's a big part of it because they have to like each other and they have to like playing with each other. And I think that's uh, one of her biggest assets in addition to finding the right talent is finding the right mix of uh, players that are going to get along with each other. Bailey Klinger, the the leading offensive talent for this Huskies team, hitting three ninety one so far on the season, 13 doubles, 12 homers, 47 RBIs. Uh, Sammy Reynolds and Madison Husky right behind her on the stat sheet. Talk about these three players, what they bring for Washington from a plate perspective as well as defensively and how the how the Huskies can take advantage of the Cajuns' defense. Yeah, well, the number one thing for me is when you mention those three players, they're all 50-year seniors. And they have two others, Silent Rain Espinoza, who's a starter, and Megan Vandergrift, who usually works off the bench. Um, I think that experience factor is very, very big this year. And I think it's one reason why they didn't uh, totally collapse against uh, McNeese and were able to come back in the seventh inning in that game and finish it off in the bottom of the inning as well because they had a senior in the circle who pitched the final inning. They've been around the block so many times. They've gone through the COVID thing. They're very experienced. They're streetwise. They know how to deal with situations. And Maddie Husky in particular, in that seventh inning, she led off with a single to get it going, and then she drove in. They batted around, and she drove in the go-ahead run the second time she came up. She's a perfect example of that fifth-year experience that nothing really bothers them. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to win every single game the rest of the way, and they have had their pitfalls this year. But when it comes right down to it, that was that extra factor that I think helped them on uh, this past Sunday when they beat McNeese. Uh, otherwise, I don't think they would have done it, to be honest with you. Looking at the pitching, Ruby Malin looks to be the the ace for Husky softball. Forty one appearances, she's seventeen and five on the season with a two point two seven ERA and one hundred and eighty nine strikeouts. Talk about how she kind of dominates the circle for Washington and, and who the Cajuns could see behind her. Uh, well, uh, she has 
really taken to the coaching staff. Lance Glassow, our pitching coach, he's been there since 2009. He left for two years to coach another college team and then came back. He uh, has a great attitude, and she has really latched on to what he has to say and what he teaches. I think that's been her biggest uh, asset as far as being successful this year. That being said, she has got knocked around a little bit in the Pac-12 tournament and in the regional. She was the starter on Sunday and got knocked out before uh, the Huskies came back against McNeese. Now, she did beat McNeese the day before, so but they adjusted to her, and so she and she took a few hits. But she uh, has been a very, very bright, big bright spot for this team just because of her attitude. She's a freshman. She's got that freshman makeup where everything's brand new and everything's kind of wondrous, and it's, it's it, very enjoyable. I think to myself, what if I used to have that kind of energy when I was her age? And she's got a very big bright spot, and they're going to rely on her a lot in the future because there are other three pitchers. Uh, two of them are seniors, and the other one is in her fourth year. She's got one more year of eligibility. And thankfully, that senior pitching leadership has also helped Ruby as well, I think. So uh, she, I think she's going to continue to be – Good. I just hope she doesn't have that sophomore slump next year like a lot of pitchers do. Mike Brown, Washington Softball's play-by-play, joining us here on Crunch Time. Now, for, for our listeners that might not be acclimated to Washington Softball, you know, what's their play style? What can our fans expect this weekend when, when the Cajuns travel up there to Seattle? Well, they, uh, they do a mix of everything. They can run. They can uh, slap. They can go deep. They play solid defense, and their uh, pitching, which was the biggest question mark coming into the season, has pretty much solidified itself. Uh, the one pitcher I'm really happy with is Lindsay Lopez. She's a transfer from Arizona State. Uh, she gives you a different look being a left-hander. She started the first game of the regional, which wasn't a big surprise, but we thought it might be Ruby Malin because you want to win that first game. But no, they went with Lindsay. She threw a complete game, and then they had Ruby for the second one. And it worked out really well, at least for the first two days. So, uh, but uh, Huskies can go deep. They can also slap, and they got a great base dealer in Brooklyn Carter. Her sister, by the way, plays for UCLA. Now, that being said, defensively, they're going to be challenged from what I'm looking at your uh, stat sheet here by the base dealing ability of the Raging Cajuns, and I think that could be a big uh, uh, factor in this uh, series, simply because runs might be at a premium again, just like they were for the Huskies on Sunday. So uh, that could be a real standout uh, feature, but then you never know. Uh, Teams make adjustments. That's what coaching staffs are paid to do, and I think that's what happened on Sunday when uh, McNeese took the Huskies all the way to that second championship game. Do you treat a super regional, from a coaching staff's perspective, do you treat a super regional different than a regional? Because in a regional, you know, you could play up to four games, whereas in a super, you treat it as a regular season, you treat it as a regular weekend series trying to take two out of three. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is definitely a different approach. It's just like during the regular season, if, say, the Huskies are playing a weekend series at Corvallis, taking on Oregon State. Uh, you're seeing the same team over and over, and you have to keep making adjustments each day. I know the Huskies have, you know, serious film sessions before each game where they look over the previous game, check out what the pitchers are doing. You try to anticipate who is gonna, you're going to be facing in the circle. But at the same time, you have to play your own brand of softball. 
and that's what you want the other team to be thinking about. But in a certainly in a best of three super regional like this, yeah, you you take a different approach, and uh, you know you do a lot of extra work on one team, and you try to find that edge and try to exploit it as well. Mike, talk to me about your book. Um, on your first 25 years doing play-by-play for Washington? Well, it's entitled Painting a Purple Picture. And one of my advertisers is a friend of mine. We'd go out every once in a while and talk, and he, I'd be telling him all these stories. And he said, you know, you ought to write a book about all that. And I said, no, nah, people say that stuff all the time, and there really isn't anything there. Well, he kept after me, and one day after we met, I went home and sat down at the computer, and I wrote five chapters. It was uh, it wasn't that hard. I said, well, maybe there's something here. And as I kept talking to people and started to interview people about the book, uh, all these things, some of which I forgot about, came to light. I'm like, well, there is a story here, I think. So I put it together, and uh, I had a good time writing it, and I finished it. That's one of the biggest things about writing a book. you got to finish it. Right. And then, then came the publishing part. I self-published. There was a lot to learn there. And it ended up being, I thought, a pretty good story. Uh, if we had not won a national championship, I wouldn't have written the book. you got to get to the top of the mountain at least once. you know. So, But along the way, you know, we had a drug scandal back in 2004 that rocked the program. It ended up leading to the change in coaching, and that's how Heather Tarr wound, it up, coming, wound up coming into the program and taking over. Um, like I said, we won the national championship. Uh, the pandemic is in there. Uh, it just covered a lot of stuff, and it also allowed me, as a longtime broadcaster here in town, I worked at one of the leading stations, KIRO, CBS affiliate. I, we had the Mariners and the Seahawks. We were the flagship station. So it allowed me to put some of those stories in there as well, including the Mariners' 1995 run when you know they, the whole thing exploded around the major leagues around that. And uh, and also the first Seahawks Super Bowl, uh, there were and there were other stories as well. It's really good for a Seattle sports fan, but I think it's good for any softball fan because I try to put the spotlight on the sport, which continues to grow over and over and over. Sure. And I've tried to contact other coaches to say, you know, somebody in your program might have a story to write as well, and let's make the sport. Let's put the spotlight on the sport even more because there's a lot to say. Um, this past weekend was fantastic with seeing upsets like UCLA get knocked out, the Raging Cajuns knock out LSU, our comeback. This stuff happens every year, and I think there's a lot more stories out there than people realize. And so I'm hoping to maybe just get something started, if nothing else. So if anybody's interested, I got a website. You can check it out. It's huskysoftballbook.com. And uh, anybody orders it, I'll sign a copy and send it right out. But it was a lot of fun writing. This is a great game that we have in softball, and it's going to continue to get bigger. Mike, one more question before I let you go. You know, looking at Husky Stadium, it's right there on the water. Obviously, you're going to get some breezes coming in into the stadium. Do Do you think that affects the ability for an offensive team like the Cajuns, do you think that maybe prevents some home runs, or do you think it aids them? No, it, it, it shifts around. I always say all the time it swirls a lot in our stadium. You'll see the American flag down the right field line blowing out toward right, 
and then you'll see the little uh, smaller flags in the grandstand point in the opposite direction. You just don't know being on the lake. But it's a beautiful scene, and on a clear day, you can see Mount Rainier straight out beyond the center field wall, and it does shift around. And uh, sometimes a player will get a ball in the air that has no business going out, and there it goes, out into the lake. <laughs> I mean, it's happened more than once. So, um, uh, But it, it just depends, really, which way the, the wind's blowing, and I'm sure uh, the Raging Cajuns are going to be prepared for it because they're going to talk to teams that have played there before, and they're going to know. Mike Brown, the play-by-play voice for Washington Softball, joining us here on Crunch Time, the first game between the Huskies and the Raging Cajuns, Friday night at 9 p.m. on ESPN. Mike, appreciate your time. As always, have a great call this weekend, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. All right, yeah, let's have a good series this weekend, no matter who wins. And there he goes, Mike Brown, the voice of Washington softball, 517, almost 518. We'll take a timeout when we return. OTAs got underway this week. Hear from Dennis Allen on the beginning of, quote-unquote, training camp. Next, right here on The Game. This is Crunch Time on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Just in case you didn't hear the game is the home for the McNeese Coaches Show, and it will be tonight at 6 o'clock. Jim Gazzola with head coach James Landroneau. Just we, we had a technical difficulty there before the break, so just wanted to make sure that the message came across to the great listeners of Southwest Louisiana. 522, welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. OTAs got underway earlier this week. Dennis Allen, Derek Carr, and Foster Moreau met with the media. And Dennis Allen talked about his first impressions of his new quarterback. Yeah, look, I thought, you know, he did a pretty good job getting in and out of the huddle. I thought he was, uh, you know, good with his reads, knew where to go with the ball. Um, you know, the execution, I thought, was, was, was fairly decent. Uh, and yet I think, you know, collectively on both sides of the ball, um, you know, we got to be a little cleaner. Dennis Allen also talked about with with 10 veterans or nine veterans and one rookie being absent from OTAs. He talked about the advantage of being at OTAs from the beginning. Well, look, every opportunity you're out here or every time you're out here, it's an opportunity to get better. And every one of our players, coaches, everybody can get better at something. I don't care how far advanced you are in your career. There's things that you can do to improve. And so, um, I'm happy he's here. I'm excited about him being here. Um, I think he's, I don't want to speak for him, but I think he's probably more comfortable in the system. Um, and, and so I think that'll bode well for him, you know, in terms of throughout this process and in the training camp as we get into the start of the regular season. Before we get to the Derek Carr audio, can I just say that the pictures that were shared by the Saints social media team, James, his muscles have muscles. Derek Carr looks jacked. 
Him and Jake Hayner. Jake Hayner. Oh, Zoolander. Oh, Zoolander. I, I can't. At this point, let's let's create our own. Uh, I honestly, footisms. I honestly can't wait until he throws a touchdown pass, whether it's a regular season game or a preseason game, so that I I can pull out that that gift that somebody made with the laser shooting out of his eyes and says, "You just got Haynered." I have it. I have that picture saved. I, I I can't wait to just blast that all over social media. The first time he scores a touchdown in a Saints uniform, it's it's just incredible. the The picture of him just sitting there, pondering life, like it it's disturbing. First of all, um, second of all, <laughs> just just throw the football, just throw the football. That's your job. What are you laughing at? What's funny? Jim said. Uh... Tebow is also very jacked, but Tim Tebow was also basically a running back. That's that's true. For some reason, playing quarterback. That is true. Um, God, and the fact that Tim Tebow is fourth on a list of the top seventy-five quarterbacks since two thousand in college football is absurd. The fact that Joe Burrow is five just might be a crime. But that's a conversation for, for another date and time. Uh, Derek Carr, when speaking with the media yesterday, he said that he came to New Orleans to win. Well, I will, I'll say I, I won't ever compare myself to Drew. You know, I mean, he's a walking Hall of Famer, you know. Um, but I believe that I came here. You know, I downplay a lot of things, but I came here for one reason and one reason alone, that's to win. And I believe that. You know, I can I can do that. I believe that in myself. I believe in my teammates. I believe in this organization that they can help me do that because uh, I can't do it by myself. You know, no one can. And so uh, I think that I can add value. I think they add value to me. And I think that there's things here where they're helping me be a better football player and they're pushing me and they're they're doing certain things that that I'm comfortable with and that that I've succeeded at for you know nine years. You know, hey man, you're really good at these things. Let's let's do those things. You know, and. Uh, you know, this is something that we like. Let's see if let's see if you're good at it. Let's see if you know it fits you. And I just I always feel that I can be better because I work to be better every day. So I hope to be better, um, at least until my body gives out. You know, until I can't throw it anymore. Um, I'll, I'll always be on the mindset of chasing that perfection, knowing that I'm probably never going to get there. Um, but I'll chase it for sure every day, hoping and believing that you know there's more. There's more. Um, I should say there's better days. You know, for me. When the season gets underway, if Michael Thomas can stay healthy, Michael Thomas will be his number one target. However, if Michael Thomas battles another injury for the third consecutive season, uh, it'll be Chris Olave. Derek Carr was asked, what does Chris Olave, or who does Chris Olave, remind you of? You know, he's very fast, very sudden. Um, I, don't want, I, I don't like putting comparisons out there because then, you know, me personally, it's like, now he has to be this, and I know you guys won't do that, but... I just don't want to put that on him, but uh, he's also Chris Olave. You know, he wants to be himself, and maybe there's certain guys that are very similar sim- similarities uh, that I see in the route running and in the burst and all those kind of things. But um, the one thing I will say about him is he loves to work. You know, he he loves to work. He he keeps his you know he keeps his head down, doesn't say much until it's time. Um, but you know, you know today I was like, hey, I'm coming to you on this. You know, I need you to win. And he's like, how much time do I have? I said, I don't care, just win. You know. Because certain coverages they were playing, and he went up there, did a, one, got the ball, and you know we're just building on that, you know. And so, um, you know, watching him run is—it's been a treat. Him and Rashid can fly, you know, uh, but not only can they fly, they can run routes and they can play football. And so it's fun, fun for me to watch. 
Foster Moreau, who ha- has battled Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, New Orleans native, played with Derek Carr in Oakland slash Vegas, now a member of the New Orleans Saints, was asked, is it comforting having your former quarterback with you as you get adjusted? The cadence was certainly a lot easier. Uh, mm-hmm. There was uh, there was some times today where I, I definitely struggled to get off the ball as fast as I wanted to. Um, not too many of those times really really happened with Derek just because I – I know when he's snapping the ball. And uh, other than that, it's it's fun. Routes on air. You know, I'm going to run a basic cross. And just hearing that familiar face like, hey, I, I got I got fall. I'm like, that's pretty fun, right? It's, it's pretty fun. And lastly, Derek Carr talked about being back with his former tight end here in New Orleans. Yes, but it was amazing. Um, you know, it was, you know, there was no – learning curve on how to throw him a football you know uh, I know how he gets out of breaks and things like that but I think um I, I don't want to undersell what that man just walked through you know um you know that's pretty scary news and a pretty scary thing to go through and for him to be out there already um you know I'm not getting to his business but it's pretty 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 miraculous I know he's he's thankful you know we were praying for him you know he called us you know pretty early when he found out and you know, he's asked my wife and I to pray for him, and obviously we do because we're family. And um, you know, I'm just happy that he's that he's out there and doing something that he loves to do. And um, the fact that we get to play together is pretty cool too. The Saints are winning 12 games in 2023. I hope. I'm not. I'm not going to say that with so much certainty, but I. I just feel really good about this offense. I feel really good about this offense, especially if Michael Thomas can stay healthy. But honestly, even if he misses the whole year again, I still feel confident in this offense. Um, I I think your quarterback situation has improved dramatically. I think your running back room only got better. You brought in Foster Moreau as a veteran tight end, which was a great move, a guy that your quarterback is already comfortable with. You've developed Juwan Johnson. You have a great receiving core. You have a good offensive line. Not a great offensive line, but it's good. You have Ryan Ramchak. You have Eric McCoy. Cesar Ruiz has developed. Andrews Pete. Yeah. We still don't really know what Trevor Penning can do. Uh, you haven't seen enough of him yet. Uh, so I-, I think there's a lot of positives to take away from this offense. And then, God, if the defense is half of what it was last year, I think you're in good shape. Uh, I mean, the Saints defense played very well for you, especially in the second half of the season. Uh, So I I hate to be a little too optimistic after what you just went through in 2022, but okay, let's start with this. Division champs, for sure. Let's say that with certainty. They will be the division champs. James is waving me. You're so up and down with everything. I'm just... Ah, knee jerk. No, no, no. It's not that. It's... Last year, we sat here when Jarvis Landry and Tyron Matthew got signed. Oh, man. Super Bowl contenders. They're going to win 12 games. Yada, yada, yada. And then you went 7 and 10. Right. So I'm trying to not do that again. Kind of are. <laughs> but I'm, it, it just feels it feels too good, man. It just um I'm so ready for Saints football season. But anyways, five thirty two, we'll take a timeout. We'll continue talking New Orleans Saints. Who that Wednesday with our guy Brendan Ertle right here on the game. We- 
He's going to go. Touchdown, Saints. Who's ready for some New Orleans Saints talk? We are. Here is Who Dat Wednesdays with Canal Street Chronicles' Brendan Ertle on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Brendan Ertle, what's going on, my man? How are you? What's up, guys? Doing good. So, OTAs have begun. Veterans are missing. Quarterback looks jacked. Uh, what what are your thoughts from OTAs thus far? I mean, we only got one real day of, of kind of some action, and there wasn't even that much action. But kind of the main thing for me besides, you know, getting a first look at Derek and Jamal and Foster and just seeing how those guys look in, in the unis, it was the attendance for me, honestly. And they had 80 out of 89 possible guys at camp. Um, they still have a roster spot to, to sign someone. Um, but I think that is a huge A. I, don't, I won't give it an A-plus, but from last year, I think they were missing. I mean, someone said they were missing like 15 to 16 guys day one at OTAs last year. And I feel like that was kind of a, a little bit of a hangover from, from Sean Payton era where it's like, yeah, this is, this is just the same team. We're going to run things the same way. I don't need to be there day one. This, this kind of needed to happen. And, and I think um, the players who weren't there, the main guys were Mike, DeMario, Taysom Hill, keep keep those guys away from OTAs right now, honestly. DeMario was in the building. Um, I think it is important to be out there and, and build chemistry w- with those guys, but Mike and Taysom especially, those are two guys that have dealt with injuries, dealt with foot injuries. Turf, keep those guys away from turf as long as possible. I, I don't think they need you know, to really get out there and play for, for months ahead of the season. I think you give them a month or two and, and, and they'll be fine, but uh, the attendance overall, I think, is important. I think it'll be uh, key for a faster start this year. If you could describe Jake Hayner's rookie photo shoot in one word. <laughs> uh, zesty. I, I think, <laughs> I think he, zesty. he is. He, he's, got the, he's got the swagger and confidence to, to do that. And if you haven't seen Jake Hayner's photo shoot, I, 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 you, should go, you should go look. And uh, Derek kind of pointed out that they were poking or making fun of Jake in, in a meeting room. It sounded like in front of the whole team. So it wasn't just one photo shoot. It was multiple photo shoots at the rookie premiere where he was just kind of feeling himself. And, you know, that's okay. I mean, if, if he's a golden boy, that's a good thing. I, I like a quarterback with confidence. and He definitely has confidence. I'll say that. Talk to me about, you know, J- Jamal Williams and – really just beefing up that running back room. That was one of the big issues last year was that you didn't have anybody to compliment Alvin Kamara. Uh, I don't think you're going to have that issue anymore. No, you're not going to have that issue anymore. Uh, it was funny because we were just sitting here waiting for updates about OTAs, and the first thing that popped in my feed was a video from the Saints. Uh, it was a Derek Carr to Jamal Williams play, and it was a screen pass. And I was like, wow, that is a breath of fresh air. Uh, an elite quarter or uh, a very good quarterback um, dumping off a screen pass to a, a very good running back. It, it felt like we haven't done that in a very, very long time. Um, but overall, I think um, just with Jamal, I think you added a huge upgrade. Um, I think they needed to get better in that category, and it was it was from Kamara down. I mean, they, they weren't good enough. The blocking wasn't good enough. Um, I think adding Jamal, Kendra, uh, mixing in Taysom Hill, it's just a different – kind of running back room and I think you go look at Seattle what what they've done over the past few years and I feel like they always have two to three guys they like to have in that system 
And, you know, they got the future superstar in Kenneth Murray, and they just drafted Zach Charbonneau as well. I mean, um, I think it is important to have young legs in that room, and um, they certainly have young legs and they have different legs. And um, if, if it is just Jamal and Kendra, I'm confident in that. But if it's Kamara, Jamal, and, and Kendra, I think it's the best uh, trio in the National Football League, honestly. Derek Carr said yesterday that he came here to win. Mm-hmm. When you hear your new quarterback say that's the main reason that he came to your organization, you know how does that make you feel about the upcoming season? I mean, it's really exciting, and Derek is someone especially. There's some players in in the NFL, and uh, there's some players in our team that are just when you listen to them talk, it kind of just inspires you. Uh, they just they're just good. They're good. They're good preachers. They're good at talking. And Jameis is one of those people. Derek's one of those people. Um, and, and I feel like when he talks, he, he's meaning everything he's saying. I, I feel like he's just one of those guys that's good to have in the locker room. But he would go down and say, you know, it goes from us moving in. I mean, people would come bring our kids ice cream sandwiches. Um, the staff um, has been extremely nice to his family. Um, you know, when he's getting sued up for his equipment, everything's imperfect. It's just like it's not just on the football field. It's, every, it's, it's everywhere else. And I feel like at times that's overlooked. I feel like, um, you know, fan bases just look at the product on the field and it's not necessarily about the front office or, or what's going on, you know, in the equipment room, the video room. This is a winning organization. And I think he noticed that. I think other, other players noticed that. And, you know, that foundation was built from Sean and Drew. Um, and we've had a lot of pieces of that, of that former team leave, but it feels like there's still guys that are grooming that and that are still growing that. And I think, uh, you know, Demario, Cam, Tyron, those are all guys that are going to keep that winning tradition going. And, you know, even if they're not winning like last year, it still feels like a winning team. This is a team that's built to win. Um, it's, a, it's a team that wants to win. And I think that they're making the right moves, that they, they see that, you know, we're a winning franchise. We weren't a winning team last year. So let's get back to winning games. And I think Derek does, you know, everything he can uh, and, and will do everything he can to, to make this roster better. And I think from day one, of practice, we noticed that just from um, him talking. I mean, you can hear him talking in every video. I think that leadership is going to go really far. Now, lo- looking at the ten players that missed OTAs, uh, you know, Alvin Kamara, Marshawn Lattimore, Michael Thomas, Ryan Ramchek, Taysom Hill, a handful of others. Uh, are you surprised that so many veterans sat out OTAs? Um, I mean, it, it's hard. It's hard to know. Uh, I, I know we've had OTAs in the past where Sean was like, yeah, I haven't heard from this guy. I don't know what this guy's doing. He's on vacation or whatnot. Um, Dennis said he's been in contact with all those guys, so I'm sure you know they might be doing things elsewhere. Um, I'm sure Michael Thomas is still rehabbing. I'm sure Tate Smith's doing the right things. I know he's got some family stuff, um, lots of kids going around. Um, DeMario was in the building. I don't know what the holdup for, for him getting out there is. Maybe it's just, you know taking more time to himself. Um, Ryan Ramchek, I'd like to see uh, healthy. Um, that's going to be a real concern for me uh, moving forward is if Ryan can be healthy. But I'd love to see those veterans out there, but I still think they had a really good amount of, of veterans uh, out there in day one. Derek Carr had a lot of praise for, for Chris Olave. Uh, what does that connection look like in 2023? It's going to be dangerous. And I, I really think that he has a chance to – to be special. And I think he is already a special, but I think there was things he needed to clean up. 
And I think just just knowing Ohio State kids and uh, Chris Olave was just on the Rich Eisen show. I think getting a quarterback for him, I think it boosted his confidence, but it also boosted his confidence in the team. And and you know what I'm putting out there, working out every day, what, what, the work I'm putting in is going to pay off because the team believes in me. Um, and they went out and got this guy that is really going to help my career. And we've seen Derek thrive with those kind of receivers, um, from Henry Ruggs to Mark Cooper, those speedy guys downfield uh, who are going to make plays. And uh, the, the big knock on, on Olave was last year was that the contested catches, the catches in traffic just weren't there. It's not like it was an issue, but it was something he had to build on. And Derek said day one, he, he put a ball out there that sounded like it was a pretty ugly ball, but it was uh, Olave versus uh, Marcus May, like 40 yards downfield, and he just put it out there and he went and got it. So I think uh, making his confidence better and, um, man, I think that connection is going to be really, really, really good. Uh, and especially if they can get a run game going and uh, Olave can get those, uh, see if he's thinking on those play-action passes. I think uh, touchdown-wise, the numbers are going to go way up. Chatting with Brendan Ertle here for Who Dat Wednesdays. Defensively, what are you what are you watching? Is it more of the rookies, or are you excited to see what you know guys like Demario Davis and Cam Jordan do with another year under their belts? This early, it's kind of hard to see the defense line and the pass rush. I, I think it's going to take some time uh, for those guys to really mold and figure each other out. Uh, I think I think they will be successful. I think they'll, they'll be better next uh, last year. Uh, the main group I'm kind of looking at right now is the secondary because I think the secondary is, is really, really special. It has um, all, all the players it needs to, to really be successful. Um, I'm, I'm really looking to see Tyron and Marcus May because it felt like they didn't play uh, with each other really at all last year. Um, it felt like when one was in, one, one, one wasn't in. Uh, Tyron missed the start of camp for personal reasons. Marcus May got hurt. Uh, Marcus may be, may be suspended. I mean, it was always a question mark. So I'm looking forward to those guys because I think if those guys really get on the same page, and I think they started to figure out last year, which was really exciting, uh, that secondary can be deadly. And Marshawn with Alante Taylor, I still, still think Bradley Broby's a, a really good guy in the slot. Um, you got great, great depth in Paulson and Debo. I, I still think he's got some great ball in him. I think he, him and Alante will, will fight for the outside spot. And you got great depth as well. I mean, uh, Lonnie Johnson's a guy who's played a lot of football, a lot of football in the slot as well, and Johnson Abram. I think it's a really deep room, and it's got the potential to be one of those rooms where it's like, yeah, that, this makes sense. And uh, last year didn't start out good. It sounded like Tyron and, and De- Dennis Allen have both said like that there were some philosophy issues, probably with Chris Richard, and that kind of changed things up midway throughout the year, and uh, it really turned the corner for them. So I think the secondary group is, is really what I'm looking forward to seeing. What are your thoughts on LSU baseball in the SEC tournament right now? Man, I haven't. Have, it's hard to keep up with it too much, but it, I feel like um, there's been some disappointing losses for LSU. I feel like there could have been um, some games here or there where uh, a different outcome and they'd be sitting in a better spot. But um, man, I, I just I, I like this time of year for sports, and I think you know with Omaha coming up, it's always exciting. Um, it's really a good time for college baseball, honestly. Last question I've got for you. The greatest play in the history of the New Orleans Saints franchise is blank. So you guys were talking about this uh, 
before the show, and uh, I was trying to listen. What, what do you guys say? Because I have a very strong opinion about this. And you guys were arguing. What? It's it's the Porter pick six. Yeah. And? I mean, look, I mean, you, you, you could look at the Porter pick in, in the NFC Championship game. You could look at Hartley's kick in, in the NFC Championship game. You could go to the onside kick in the Super Bowl. You could you could even go back to 2006 and say rebirth. Mm-hmm. But for a play, I agree. But for a play that sealed you and won you your one and only championship to this point, mm-hmm. that's the biggest moment in franchise history. And I'll add two minute drill, Peyton Manning, Reggie Wayne. Like that is something that is terrifying. That is something oh, that Peyton, they're extremely Peyton good at. Peyton was scoring on that drive. Peyton was scoring on that drive. Sealed it. Absolutely. Uh, There's no doubt in my mind that that Peyton Manning was scoring on that drive. And if if he scores, who's saying they don't win? They got all the momentum. You know, um, after that, you're kind of tied up, and who knows what happens. I I still think Rebirth is an amazing play. If we're talking about, you know, the most special play in Saints history, that's definitely it. Um, You know, there was other plays, like just football-related plays, where there was, like, some really good plays, the, the Meacham strip. I think the Camara 50-yard touchdown against Green Bay in the COVID year was one of the best football plays um, I've seen. And there's a lot of good other plays. You know, Drew to Traquan to break the, the passing record. There's some, a lot of good special moments, but none as in crucial, special, and just overall important than Tracy Porter's first pick against Brett Favre and then second pick against Peyton Manning. So Tracy Porter will always have a special, special play in my heart. Brendan Ertel joining us here for Who Dad Wednesday. Brendan, appreciate your time as always, my friend, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Yes, sir. Let's do it. And there he goes, Brendan Ertel from Canal Street Chronicles. We'll take a timeout, wrap up today's show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game has a brand new app, and it is now your one-stop shop for all things 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Download the free mobile app today for Apple or Android devices. Just search the game Southwest Louisiana. That way, no matter where you are, you can listen to the game. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Wrapping up today's show, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Arkansas walks off Texas A&M 6-5, setting up a Tigers-Razorbacks matchup tomorrow afternoon at 4.30. Pre-game at 4. You can hear it right here on the game, which means no Crunch Time tomorrow afternoon. Not to worry, though. We'll be back on Friday, barring an LSU defeat to Arkansas, because uh, if they lose to Arkansas tomorrow, they would play at the same time on Friday, which means no show again on Friday. Uh, but stay up to date on our social media. Uh, we will keep you updated with show times and the schedule of the LSU Tigers playing in the SEC tournament. Also, McNeese and Nichols will not begin on time. Lamar and UNO currently in a rain delay in the ninth inning over at Joe Miller Ballpark. Uh Again, the Astros falling 4-0 to Milwaukee earlier today. Some 
events going on tonight in the NHL playoffs. The Florida Panthers will look to move on to the Stanley Cup final. They have a 3 nothing lead on the Carolina Hurricanes in that series. A 7 p.m. puck drop. Speaking of the NHL, Dallas Stars captain Jamie Benn has been suspended two games for his hit on Mark Stone in Game 3 the other night. Want to take this opportunity to thank our guest today, Jay Walker, for joining me from Montgomery to preview Louisiana and Texas State. 7:30 first pitch in that game tonight. Mike Brown, the play-by-play voice for the University of Washington, joining us to preview that super regional between the Cajuns and the Huskies that gets underway Friday night at 9 p.m. And then Brendan Ertle joining us for Who Dat Wednesday. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, give a hug to your mom and them, and we're back to. We're back Friday, 4 to 6, right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Let's throw it over to the Chuck now for the McNeese Coaches Show with softball head coach James Landrino. Here is your host, Jim Gazzolo.